trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Welcome to this episode of A Gift for Grief and today my guest is Rachel Lee Janney. So welcome Rachel. Thank you lovely. Now we've just met for the first time but you contacted me to say you have a story and would like to be a guest on my podcast. So I know very little about your backstory except that back in 2019 you experienced a stillbirth with your daughter Narayan. Yes. Now you have reassured me that you like to talk about this and that you want to highlight the subject of stillbirth because it doesn't get openly discussed. And in our correspondence, you said that you always had a fear of death and you'd had a lot of anxiety about what it would be like to lose someone close to you. But it sounds like you've gone through a transformation of some sort because you have a very different perspective about grief and loss now. And you also wrote in our correspondence, what if we could be grateful for the journey of grief? So I'm intrigued <laughs> to see where this podcast goes. So before we get into that, can you first tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thank you very much, lovely. Mm-hmm. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm also a vegan chef. I do a few different things. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a vegan chef. I sell natural skincare as well. And my life took a really big change when my daughter was born. So when when something like this happens in your life, I'm a big believer that there becomes this fork in the road where life is never going to be the same again. Yeah. But there's two types of life's never going to be the same again. There's that very dark path where everything's going to feel very dark and heavy. Um, or there's a path where, for me, to become so much more grounded and deeper as a person. And so over the last few years, I've been developing different workshops, exploring different grief modalities, which of all things that have served me that I then want to, you know, to share with yes. other people. And that just weaves really lovely then through my through my yoga practice, through my yoga workshops, helping people live a, you know, natural, holistic lifestyle, whether it comes to skincare, whether it comes to facing more of the darkness yeah. and the dark subjects that are out there. I run women's circles as well. And I often talk about there's a, there's a number of subjects in life, death, divorce, depression, abuse, 
which we just don't talk about. No. Because no one knows what to say. But I really remember when my daughter was born. So I also have a son, who, Aslan, who's eight and a half. And when he was born, four years before, I came home and the house within a week was full of flowers, gifts, cards, presents. I became like best friends with the postman because he was coming that <laughs> often to my house. But when my daughter was born four and a half years later, there was no cards. There no. was no presents. Nobody wanted to ask me about my birth story. Whereas my daughter's name means flow of water. And um, I wasn't meant to have a water birth, but I didn't. I, I was in a bath in a hospital and I refused to get out of the bath because I was just feeling great there. So I ended up having a water birth. But she was born in her sack completely full. That is um, amazing. And it was beautiful. And my birth, I, I loved giving birth to her. And with both of my births, they've been amazing and beautiful and connective. This was a big aha moment for me because... I got to see how people, friends and family responded to me when my son was born with the flowers and the gifts yeah. and the cards and, oh, what was the birth story like? Whereas when my daughter was born, it was a very different yeah. situation. No cards, no presents, and no one asked me about my birth story. And this comes from the fear of upsetting myself or whoever, whoever it may be. But the truth is... We're already hurting. We're already in so much pain. And the best thing that you can do is, you know, or for me, ask me my daughter's name. Ask me what my daughter's name means. Ask me about my birth story. Because all these are all things that I've had. Yeah. But when you start to live in the world again after you've been through something like stillbirth and it, and you want to start to live again and no one asks you those questions, your daughter's then never, never never mentioned yeah. and there's a book called um i think ask me her name or ask me my child's name um that's a great book i shall put that in the show notes actually because other people would maybe like to read that as well mm, yeah. but what does narayan mean so it means flow of water, flow of water. so which my husband um so it's actually it, it the word is actually pronounced correctly as narayan but that's actually a Sikh boy's name. So me and my husband, when we were playing with names, we said Narayan. So it means yeah. flow of water. That's beautiful. So, um, it, and it just, everything about it weaved through who she is and her, her journey. Because if I kind of fast forward a little bit towards after she was born for a moment, we had, we had her ashes and we didn't know what to do with them. And then we decided that her, mean, her name means flow of water. So we were going to put them in water. Yeah. But we didn't know where. So we thought near a lake, near our house. But I didn't want to create like a, I didn't want to create a shrine. A shrine. And her name means flow of water. So she's everywhere, right? Yeah. So, so what we actually did was we went on holiday to Cyprus. We took her with us and we hired a boat and we went out into the middle of the ocean and we scattered her. And two things happened. One, that day, the people that we'd hired a boat from knew nothing who we were, but gave us this glass bottom boat. So all of the ashes went underneath the boat as we oh, were around. Wow. And if you've, when you scatter ashes onto the ocean, the entire ocean becomes like glitter. Yeah. And so for me, when and why I call all of my workshops finding your flow with your journey of grief. Because when you can start to experience what I call magic moments within that journey of grief, it's and it's the journey of grief is no longer about just pain and suffering. Yeah. 
when my daughter was born, I went to the hospital every single day after she was born for 10 days. And the hospital was at the Birmingham Women's Hospital. They brought her out. They popped her into the cot. I would pick her up and I would hold her and I would read stories to her because I needed to create memories for me. That was really important. And so you see, when we start to realise that we can create memories and magic moments in our journey of grief, then it's a whole different experience. Yes. And for most of us, when we when we see that someone's passed away, the, f- the first words that we say is, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. And I remember when I shared um, on Facebook after my daughter had uh, was born, you know, weeks later, I was in feeling quite in a connected space at the time. And I had like a hundred messages on Facebook saying, I'm sorry for your loss. 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 And I remember reading them all. And at the end of it, I felt lost. Yes. And so a lot of the time we're conditioned into saying, I'm sorry for your loss. And and I I don't feel it always serves. Um, It's really hard to know what to say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I used to think that saying, I'm sorry for your loss, Mm. how are you feeling, Mm. was the safest thing to say Mm. because you're acknowledging the loss and then saying, how are you feeling? It gives that person an opportunity Mm. to speak if they want to. But I was saying this to a a lady a couple of weeks ago and she said, oh, I hate that phrase. My daughter's not lost, she's dead. So, you know, Mm. what you one person thinks is a good thing, Mm. it doesn't land right for somebody else. And it is so hard to get it right, isn't it? Absolutely. And we will talk about this a bit later on in the podcast because I think it's really important. But Rachel, could you share the events that led up to your stillbirth experience? Yeah, so actually it started in terms of my pregnancy about a month before I was pregnant. So at the time, me and my husband, my husband's also a yoga teacher, um, we were running lots of retreats together and we were on a yoga retreat and I was catering, I was doing all the food. And I remember it had been a busy morning and I was heading back to the kitchen to, to get the lunch together. And my husband was chatting to another yoga teacher And the words that I heard them say were, who am I to choose how long a soul will live for? And these words like hit me as I was walking back to the kitchen. And I remember getting back to the kitchen thinking, I need to get focused. I've got lunch to serve for 20 people in like in in less than an hour. But I couldn't focus because these words around. Yeah. Like how were they making you feel these words? They just completely stopped me in my tracks. Because, as, as you mentioned earlier, that I'm always somebody who the fear of death, just the idea of death and what that would do to your life worried me so much. Yeah. And I could it just created so much anxiety in me to then hear because, again, conditioning tells us that that, you you know, you, you die when you're older and, you know, you've oh, they've had a good life, you know. Yeah. My my granddad is ninety five, and I was chatting to my mum today, and I could and I could feel that energy of oh, we're the ninety five. It's 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 like it's okay then, and we have all this judgment around what's a a good age or to live or not, and it doesn't change the journey of grief, really, no. does it? So those yeah. words, yeah. The, the words you heard, really hit something inside. Yeah. So when when I heard those words, 
it was like a ripple. It was like a vibration within me that I was like, what? What did somebody just say then? Yeah. Who am I to choose? Who are we to choose how long a soul will live for? What if some souls just need a very short time on yeah. earth for, to complete their journey? And I just went back to the kitchen and was like, whoa. What, so what? did that unnerve you? in terms of your own pregnancy then? Well, I wasn't pregnant at this point. This was about a month before I was pregnant. This okay. happened. But I just remembered it so powerfully. And then in those in that moment, I was like, okay, I need to get on with my work. I've got a job to do now. Yeah. And I think I just went straight into that. And like I say, that was about a month before I got pregnant. So that's where I kind of feel this journey started for me because something shifted within me that I was to work with people around death and around grief. And so then a month later, we became pregnant and I'd been pregnant before with my son and the moment I was pregnant with my son, I shouted from the rooftops. I think we were about three weeks pregnant. I told everybody. <laughs> I was not buying into the wait till 12 no. weeks to tell anybody. We'd actually got pregnant the weekend we got married. So we'd got back of honeymoon and it was like such an exciting time. So with yeah. my son, we just talked about it everywhere. And then we got pregnant with our daughter and I just had this feeling of being so internal with myself and so for them for the next six to seven months unless you saw I never told anybody I was pregnant that's how much I kept it to myself okay. there was no Facebook announcements no if, if I, it wasn't a friend that I saw I didn't tell anybody I never messaged friends to say I was pregnant because it just felt so different this yeah. was before any scans before anything I just knew that something was di very different about this pregnancy um, so yeah, when I did share later on that she'd been stillborn for a lot of people, they yeah. didn't, they never knew that I was pregnant, but I needed to go on that journey. I think for me, that's the most important thing with grief. The most important thing in life, learning to listen to ourselves. Yes. That little bit deeper, those tiny little bits of intuition that are there every day for us, but can we hear them? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's when it started for me. And, um, and did you have a um, a normal pregnancy up to a so, point? So at twelve weeks, we went for the scan. They measure the like the the back of the neck, and they couldn't get that measurement. And so they said, "We're just going to do a few extra blood tests to see." So it was never completely confirmed while we were pregnant that our daughter had Patel syndrome because we didn't want to have the. The, the different tests that I felt were quite evasive yeah. and things like that. So, but that's, but that's, so when she was born, so she was magical. She had six fingers, had six toes. She had lots of oh. things that made her really special and unique. Yeah. And so we have handprints and footprints and it has six fingers and six toes. And, yeah. and those are, these, these are the magic moments that I'm talking about that are special for us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so she had Patel's syndrome. So during our pregnancy, I searched everywhere this is where Facebook was very useful. I searched everywhere for somebody who had had a child with Patel syndrome that had lived because I just needed to, I needed, I needed a focus. Yes. When you're going through dark days, you need a focus, a vision, something to hold on to. And I remember my vision and my focus was if I take my daughter home for a day, like that's my vision, that's my focus. Yes. Um, and so, and so to find, to hold on to that vision and focus, I just searched everywhere and I managed to find a mum who had taken her child home for five days um, who, who their child had a Patel syndrome. And that kept me then going all the way through my pregnancy, because unfortunately, 
99% of people who have Patel syndrome do terminate uh, quite early on. And one of the things that was very challenging at the time, but looking back, it it had a, it helped. So I had a consultant at the beginning that was very um, direct, shall we say. And so in my first appointment with the with the team, this consultant basically said to me, I don't even think they said, hello, how are you or anything like that. They just said to me, your baby's not going to survive the pregnancy. And that's harsh. Really, really. No it, bedside manner no, then. No, none whatsoever. It was like, your baby's not going to survive the pregnancy. You know, do you want to terminate? And I remember looking at this consultant, this man. <laughs> I looked him in the eye and I, there was, you know, where Spider-Man has that, you know, the web coming out of his wrist like that. Yes. You know, it was like there was this... The evil eye. There was this energy <laughs> out of my eyes that burnt into this consultant. Yeah. And I said, don't ask me that question again at all during this pregnancy. No. Um, but that gave me something, you know, that connected me to a deep power within me that I would then was like... I was I was her mother. I was going to yeah. hold her and look after her and I was going to give her the journey that she needed to have. And I think that's what helps me so much now when we were talking, you know, before about, you know, you had your son for, for 27 years. Yes. I had my daughter for the time that I needed to have her for. That's That's how I see it. And what she taught me in that short space of time has transformed and has, has changed my life. Are there times when she'd be four, just over four now? Are there times when I go to the park and I see a little girl who would be the same age? Yes, of course there are. And I do yeah. I daydream thinking, I wonder what that would be like. You know, does my son ask me, oh, will I ever have a brother or sister? You know, of course, all these things still come yeah. up. But there's something much deeper for me that she she taught me something. Yeah. And you can't take that back. And so um, whenever I'm delivering workshops around grief, I always talk about this. I always ask everybody to put some, I, I call them, I call it a gratitude bank and gratitude credits. And at the end, I say to everybody in the workshop, you know, are you grateful for this experience today? Are we grateful for this podcast today? Yes, we are. So therefore, I can ask you to put some, some credit into my gratitude bank yes. that, and be grateful that my daughter chose this journey that she chose. Um, she was a real gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. A beautiful, beautiful mm. gift. Yeah. Who only needed to be here for a short space of time yes. to make a very big difference in the world. Yes. And that's why that comment a month before I was pregnant hit me so much, I believe. Yes. Because so, there's a much bigger, greater force. Um, yeah. And yeah, so so I don't know about um, Patel's Patel syndrome. Yeah. syndrome. So for people listening, yeah, what is it? Most people probably know of Down syndrome, and so this is when with Down syndrome, every chromosome in so so we have it's twenty one chromosomes, and with Down syndrome, one of the chromosomes so you meant to have two of every chromosome. And with Down syndrome, you have three. I think it's a, is it a 14? Whereas with Patel syndrome, it's a different chromosome. Okay. So it's very similar to Down syndrome. That's probably the best yeah. way to, to describe it. Um, so one of the 
chromosomes rather than having two a pair of each chromosome one of the chromosomes has a third chromosome and so that then shows up in the way that it shows up for down syndrome it shows up the same for patel syndrome yeah. so for example it's quite common to have five fingers and five toes um it's quite common to have a cleft lip into the nose um the brain has two hemispheres rather than four hemispheres so you oh, can see straight away yeah. the impact on the brain that something like patel's yeah. has it is most children don't live very long um, if they have full patels. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so how long did you carry her for? I'm um, just under seven months. Seven months. Yeah. So you had to go through the full birthing mm-hmm. process. Yeah. yeah. How do you cope with that, Rachel? Oh, gosh. Um, looking back now on that, I had a lot of support from a lot of people. My husband supported me a lot during that time I think for me when it came to giving birth there was moments where she's inside of me right and there was moments where I was like I cannot give birth like I can't go through this like I'm too exhausted I'm emotionally I'd been in hospital actually for about five days I hadn't seen my son as well I wanted to go and see my son so the but they actually won't, they don't give the option of a cesarean. You have to, because obviously with a cesarean, that puts your life at risk. Okay. So they won't give you the option of a cesarean. So that's never an option. So you have to go ahead and do it. And I'd been so, one of the things that kept me going through, when I gave birth to my son four years earlier, I loved giving birth. I loved it. I remember the moment where his head was out and his body was still in. As a woman, it was the most empowering moment of my life. I felt like, you know, (laughs) wow. I had no drugs, nothing with my son. And so there was something about his birth that was like, I felt like I didn't want to take away from that. So I think somehow the energy of him helped me through. Something happened. And, you know, I I didn't have a choice. I had to give birth. So I had a doula. I had the same doula that I'd had um, with my son. And the hospital were accommodating in terms of what what do you need? I was like, I need to be in the bath. Well, you can't have a water birth. I was like, but I need to be in the bath. So I just lay in the bath and then I I never got out of the bath. And um, and then she was born. And I think it's it's probably there is moments where it's a little bit of a blur. Yeah, that's because of the, the pain, the suffering and the emotions that you're going through at that time. Um. But I remember feeling really supported by a lot of people. And so, I mean, and that's why I've always had a doula whenever I've been pregnant. The first person I call before, before getting a midwife, I always yes. book a doula, first of all, to someone I know that's really going to hold me. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad you had that support there. So were you introduced to a bereavement support officer or a bereavement midwife in the hospital? So during the, whilst I was pregnant, the, the special unit in the hospital look, looked after me. And I guess they look after all d- different types of pregnancies that are maybe yeah. not so much the normal. And, and she was amazing. In terms of things like bereavement, um, we were offered a bereavement counsellor after she was born. And she just wasn't the right, if I'm honest, she wasn't the right person for us. Because she came to see me, remember how I said I was reading to my daughter every day for 10 days. 
And one of the days where I was reading, I think she came in at the beginning or at the end and sat on the arm of the chair. And she just kept saying to me, oh, it's so horrific, isn't it? It's so horrific. Oh, dear. It's so horrific. <laughs> and I remember thinking, you're not the counsellor for me. It's not really the support you need, no. is it? That's... And she was the only counsellor that in, in that hospital. Yeah. And so I just thought to myself, OK, I know I need some support and some help, but I don't think this this lady is... So there is support out there, and I'm sure there are counsellors that have yes. that have had that support. I think what the most important thing is when it comes to bereavement and counselling is finding the different ones and there's lots of different little groups that have been set up by people who they've had a stillbirth they've had a miscarriage and so sometimes rather than the the main counsellors at a hospital I found more support in that group of six moms that meets in a cafe on a the first Tuesday of every month and it's those little groups that just go and meet and chat they've been there they've experienced it it's almost like finding your tribe isn't it yeah absolutely um and it's just normal to sit and talk about stillbirth because they've all been through that and there's lots of little charities especially all over the midlands Um, yeah yeah well if you can send me links to them i'll certainly add them into the show notes for others to to make connections so i was reading on the nhs website about stillbirth Mm -hmm. And in England and Wales, stillborn babies have to be formally registered within 42 days of birth. And in Scotland, it's 21 days. And in Northern Ireland, you don't have to register a stillbirth, but you can if you want to, as long as it's within a year of the birth. What was this process like for you? We were actually treated really well um, by that team because it's, Whereas usually you register a birth and, and register a death, when it's a stillbirth, it's you just do one registry. So you don't have to go through the process twice. Okay. It's one process. Um, and I remember going into Birmingham City Centre where you go to do the you know, the registration. And actually then they must have put it must put notes on people's bookings because the moment that we said our name, oh, okay, so you're not sat in the main waiting room. You're over in a little room. Yeah. You're not there with all the other mums that are there with their new babies to register. You're in your own little room. You're seen immediately and then you leave. Yeah. Um, so actually for us, that was a process that was just... It was. I feel at that point in your grieving journey, I think you're very much in that numb space that, yeah. that comes with the first phase of grief. And you're just kind of going through the motions. But those motions start to move things a little bit as well, don't they? Yes, so yeah. It's it's like, oh yeah, I remember I remember that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that room that I sat in. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I understand that when there's a sudden death, there's a procedure that needs following and usually a post mortem is required to identify the cause of death. But with a stillbirth, the post mortem can't go ahead without your consent or written permission, was this a decision you needed to make? No, I didn't need to have any um, post-mortem or any reason. You know, when my daughter was born and we saw her six fingers and six toes, yes. and I just thought to myself, what difference is a post-mortem? Yeah. For me, it's not going to make any difference. No. I understand um, in other situations, my husband's father passed away two weeks ago really suddenly and so for those situations actually 
to know what yeah. and, and why and what happened, I think helps. But for my daughter in this situation, I didn't I didn't need any of no. that. It was more important for us to put our energy and our time into into other things. Yes. yes. Like going to the hospital every day. And that was one thing the hospital did so well. There was this little cot and they dressed her and they put her into the cot every day and left her. And then I'd go in and read to her and then they would go again. And um, and that's where my husband was really supportive. And that's where I think I learned and have continued to learn how differently we can grieve. And particularly where you have two people like a husband and wife who grieve so differently. Yes. My husband grieves very quietly. He He is very internal and needs to think a lot but he likes to do for other people. Yeah. So he wanted to drive me to the hospital every day and wait for me and drive me back. To him, Narianne had already crossed over, so he didn't want to go and read to her, whereas I needed to create those memories. So you can just see how we both grieve so differently um, and and even the same when with his dad passing yeah. over. He's very quiet, whereas I want to talk about everything. And so... I think that's something that's really important in the journey of grief is that we really honour that there is no right or wrong. Absolutely. That, that it's, it just, it, it is what it is. And then maybe three weeks or three months later, all of a sudden my husband's like, he's got something to say. And it's just one sentence. And, yeah. and that's, that's his way of grieving. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's important to respect how each person does it differently mm. and to understand that, it, similar with my husband he was very quiet mm. but I wanted to talk about things um, and it's just making space and understanding how you each respecting each other's ways of doing that yeah so could you tell us a little bit about the funeral oh, I would love to talk about the funeral okay. absolutely so if you think back to four and a half years ago so this was before all of the lockdown and everything. So it was quite normal back then to for a funeral to from someone when someone passed over to when the funeral was. It was quite normal for that process to be within two weeks, and I just knew I I, I couldn't be rushed. So we actually took six weeks to organise our daughter's funeral, and I remember going to the funeral directors, still feeling really lost because I was like, "What are we? What what are we going to do here?" Um, and this lady who was looking after us, made this kind of comment. She said, listen, you can have whatever you want. You don't even have to have anyone else to take the service. You can take the service yourself if you want. And I went, yes, that's it. Ah. I went, yes, we're taking the service. And so for her eulogy, I wrote this poem, this story, that was about this little girl who played hide and seek because when we went for a scan, they could never scan her. Oh, that's but, sweet. But my son at the time was four and a half, on oh, my son, um, and, you know, where those children that play hide and seek and then you start to look for them and they jump out and they go, here I am. So I just wrote this little poem, this little story about this little girl who played hide and seek and that was her, her eulogy. And me and my husband sat at the front on the steps. We had nobody else to take the service other than me and my husband. We played some songs that meant a lot to us and my, my son was just sat on the steps next to us and we had a few, you know, a small group of people with us maybe maximum 10 people were there and my son and my husband carried the coffin together as well and it was just 
it was, it, as I said at the beginning, trying to create these little moments yeah. of magic moments that stay with you forever so that life then doesn't have to become this dark, heavy thing that you're going to carry around for the rest of your life. Whereas I I know that I, I believe that our souls are here forever. So souls, their life lives forever so that they're always with us. And as I said, my daughter's main name's been Flow of Water. And I know when she wants to tell me something, it rains. So oh. I'm very sorry about all the rain recently. <laughs> She's got a lot of messages we for us. We know whose fault it is now <laughs> <Yes>. then. <laughs> and um, so when it came to the funeral, but we gave, if I had tried to plan and organise a funeral in a two weeks, that I wouldn't have experienced that. No. And I remember someone saying to me about four, four or five weeks after, well, why are you taking so long to organise the funeral? And I was like, excuse me? Like, who said you have this rule that we have yeah. to? And and now you can you can just hear it. It's like as soon as someone's like, okay, yeah, we'll phone the funeral directors. Yeah, we'll get the ball rolling. Whoa, hold on a second. Yeah. We haven't actually began to process and feel and think. And so we're trying to write, a, you know, a eulogy based on like just rushing something when we haven't had a chance to feel into yeah. ourselves and... And so, yeah, when that when that lady at the funeral director said to me, "Well, you can do whatever you want," it was the best thing because yes. it just it, it just let go of any. It must be this way. Um, I didn't really realize that you could do that. You sort of just fought. You're in this mm. haze of feeling numb. Mm. You're in the rawness of grief, mm. and you sort of just follow what people tell you, don't mm. you? You need to phone the mm. funeral directors. They'll give you a date, but it all depends on whether the church is free at a certain time. Mm. I'd never thought about creating this space where actually I want to determine when the funeral is. Yeah. So it's really good to know that that can happen. Mm. So when you think about Narayan's funeral mm. now, it's a nice mm. memory for you. Mm. I remember getting out the car, so... We had her little coffin in the car with us. And then in the car, there was myself, my husband and my son. Yeah. And and from our house to where we were going, we just talked about, because we'd been back to see her a lot. So we talked about after today, after after we'd, we have our ashes, we're not going to see her physically again. And so we were just talking about that. And as we went to get out of the car, my son said something which made me and my husband laugh. So there's our like immediate family and friends waiting for us, thinking, how are we going to get through this? You know, thinking it's going to be really difficult. And we step out of the car laughing. Oh, so yeah. um, because our son said something, and I don't know if yeah. you know what he said. And everybody went, whoa, I didn't expect that. And and then after the funeral, we said to our friends, we said, and actually we asked everybody to wear white as well. So and and after the funeral, we said, we want everyone to bring a plate of food and we're going to go to the park and we're going to have a bring and share picnic. Yeah. And that's what we did. Perfect. And, um, Absolutely perfect. And I like to think of these moments, like when you were saying about spreading the ashes on the ocean, mm -hmm. it looked like glitter, mm -hmm. and having these lovely moments. I call them glimmer moments, and it's sort of the opposite to trigger moments for me. Glimmer, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's called glimmer moments. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, Rachel, when do you feel that your grief started? I think there's there's two, isn't there? There's I always think there's two journeys of grief. There's the grief you grieve first of all for for the life that you thought you were going to live. Yes. So when you're pregnant and you're in this 
wow, you know, as soon as you get pregnant, you start to think of, well, when they're two and when they're four <laughs> and when they're this and when they're that and what it's going to be like and what it, you know, and and so then you, whilst you're pregnant and you know then your pregnancy is not going to go that way, there's a grief journey then, isn't there, yeah. um, of that part of it. And then there's the grief journey of then when it happens. And then the grief journey continues and, you know, forever, doesn't it? The, yeah. And that's the thing. Grief is not something that's going to ever go away. And I think now I've just come to, to realise that, that grief is going to be with me forever. Yeah. But I get to choose which path that grief journey is going to take me down. And like I said before, of course, there's moments where I do have, you know, I might be at a, 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 a yoga festival where I'm teaching a grief grief workshop the next day. And I'll always get like little girls around me. And it, there's something that, that uh -huh. triggers that moment of like, well, what if she was here? And then I'll be lying. I was lying in bed just not long ago. I was lying in our tent before the next day before I was due to teach this workshop and I was lying there starting to think well what would it be like if she was here and and would I swap what I've got now because I'm a different person now and would yeah. I swap what I've got now and who I am for that and I was starting to question it and as I did there was just these light droplets of rain on the tent and I was like okay That's I get it your question I get it I'm not meant to question that it's okay that I did and I'm feeling into those thoughts and those feelings yeah. and those emotions but actually this is the way that this this is my journey and this is how it's meant to be and does it hurt sometimes yeah of course it does yeah um it's an ongoing mm. journey, isn't it? And I'm six years down the mm. the road now from mm. Matthew dying, and I feel that um, grief is love. Yes, it's just that love. It's it's there, and it will always be there. Yeah, um, and that's okay. I'm happy with that. I never want to stop feeling that. Yeah, and there will be moments where sometimes you get. It could be a song on the radio yeah. or you see somebody that, you know, I see somebody that looks like Matthew mm -hmm. or it can be things that trigger you and you can have these overwhelming, um, upsetting moments that take you right back into the rawness of grief. But six years down the road, I know I'll come out the other end, mm -hmm. spluttering. Yeah. But I'll come out the other end and yeah. life goes on. And I, like you, have a you know, healthy belief system about death. My son is in a good place. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it is an ongoing journey. Yeah. It is, and that's fine. And when we feel all that emotion coming up, find the movie that will make you cry. Yeah, And sit and watch the movie. You know, yeah. I, I journaled a lot all the way through my pregnancy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I've continued to journal. And I look back now and sometimes sitting back and reading your own journals around what you wrote whilst you were pregnant, the rage, the anger, the frustration, the yeah. sadness, to sit back and read those journals is, is there's a healing in that Definitely, as well. Cause you and can a reconnection. Also, yeah, absolutely. Because not only can see, you can see how far you've come, mm. it's good to have it down because it's in a way it's comforting to remind yourself that, this was part of our mm. journey together. Yeah. So how would you describe grief to somebody who has never had a significant loss? Well, that's a very good question. I'm not sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think until you've experienced a grief, it's like one of those situations where you can 
read as many books as you want to. But until you feel into how that feels for you, um, I think the, if I was to tell, explain things to other people, it's like this feeling of, you know, compassion, holding this space for somebody that you have no idea how they're going to be, how they're going to react, what they're going to do. That's the, that's the most important thing is yeah. to hold a space for somebody um, because it's it's a really rocky ride. Like you're numb, you're lost, you're frustrated, you're bargaining, you're angry, you're, you know, and that's all before you've even had breakfast in the morning. You know, yes, it's like all yeah. those things come up. I remember the day a few. Yeah. So one of the things that I always like to talk about is that your body doesn't know you've had a stillbirth. Well, your body knows, but it doesn't know. I.e. your boobs still produce lots of milk. Of course. So yes. the next morning you're at home and you wake up and like your milk's producing and producing and producing and you have no And that's painful, that I imagine. That's painful, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Anyone who's breastfed knows how painful breastfeeding is. But you don't have a baby to drink the milk. Right. And that is really painful. And I remember that more that first morning. The only way I can describe it is it was like I was crying. I had tears rolling down my face before I'd even opened my eyes. And yeah, that was one of the, like, that was probably the, like the, some of the toughest times. And um, my son was four and a half and I, and I, and I had bread, bread, breastfed him until he was about three. I said, do you remember what it was like when you had um, breast milk? And he was like, yeah. I was like, do you want some more? He said, yeah. So I actually got him <laughs> to drink some more to help the, to relieve the pain. And, oh, um, that's beautiful, Rachel. Mm. That's really lovely. Yeah. So did you find people were unsure how to be around you and not know what to say? afterwards absolutely i think when it comes to death we are conditioned don't say anything because you might upset them yeah but they're already they're already in a lot of pain and for me asking somebody would you like to talk what was her name how how, how are you feeling you know what does it feel like four years later what are you what do you know what are your memories asking these different questions um just to allow that person to open up a little bit rather than this perception that that, that they don't want to talk because I had a, a friend a couple of years ago who their little boy lived for about two weeks and I just remember reaching out to her straight away. She was not someone I knew very well at the time. Obviously, we've become really good friends yeah. since, but I remember reaching out to her and I just said, what's his name? Tell me about him. What would you have to tell me? Yeah. And the look of like, wow, somebody wants to know his name. Yeah. And um, yeah. That's very powerful, isn't it? So what do you say when people ask you if you have any children? Because I still struggle with this one. Mm. Is this a question you struggle to answer? So <laughs> the universe <laughs> gave me a little lesson on this one quite early on. So the first time I ever left the house after by, after, by myself, um, or, or say with, with, with Aslan, my son, but without my husband, we went to Tesco. And I was just there putting my shopping into my bag and my son was doing something. The, the lady behind the counter said, do you just have the one child? 
of all the questions in the world (laughs) it was I I just looked at her and I stared at her and I was I there was just this silence yeah and I was like holding uh, some food putting it into a bag staring at her and I was like because in my head I was going do I do I have one child do I have two yeah and I think I just looked at her and I was like I don't know. Put the shopping in my back, in my in my back, and like walked off. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, how many times am I going to get asked that question?" Yes. And I think I actually have different answers for different people. Is probably the best way to to say it. Sometimes I just say, "Yep, I'm one child," and I nod and I smile and we walk on because I'm not in that place in Tesco where I want to start telling my life story. But then there's moments where. You know, I will talk about, yes, I have Aslan. I want to have a daughter as well who was who was stillborn four years ago. And, and I will I will say that. And and you'll be surprised on what that opens up. We were at a, a play centre a few months ago. And I was just sat, my son was running around on a soft play area. And this lady just came and you know, sat next to me. Her son was playing. And she said to me, oh, do you just have the one child? I said, I said, actually, I have my son, but I also have a daughter. But, she, you know. She's in heaven already. She's, yeah. you know, she was stillborn. This lady cried and cried. And the, the next week, it would have been like the 10th anniversary of her son being stillborn. And she hardly ever talked about it. So sometimes it's really good for us to yes. just keep talking about it. Of course, there's times in our lives where it's just like, actually, now I'm in the supermarket and buying yeah. buying some food and, and now's not the time. But but most of the time I try to say, yeah, we have a son and we also have a daughter yeah. who is stillborn. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. I do try mm. and acknowledge that, yes, my yeah. son, you know, and I have a daughter who lives in Warwick mm. and I have a son that died mm. six years ago. Mm. But I sometimes find... Um, you have to try and rescue them because then they're all, oh, I'm so sorry, didn't mean to ask. And yeah. no, it's fine, it's fine. And yeah, um, yeah. I, but I'm still sort of struggling with it. I'm still mm. trying to find the right thing to say at the right mm. time. Yeah. But it, the more we talk about our children, mm. the more normalised these conversations will be. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I really love about the journey that I've had with my son. So my son's now eight and a half. So he was four and a half when this happened. He talks about his sister a lot still. That's good to hear. And he knows who she is. He knows that when it's raining lots, that's Narian giving us messages. We've always done, um, you know, like a little gratitude prayer for her uh, most days as well. So yeah. we've just always done things that when she was born, we asked him, do you want to go and see her? And he, he didn't want to. He said, no, thank you. Yeah. And, and And that was fine. Um, but then there's things like at the funeral where he was like, I'll help carry the coffin. And, and yeah. he did. And and so we can't we can't protect children from grief. And I think that's probably one of the areas where we start to go wrong because we want to wrap our children into like, oh, grief doesn't happen and and things like that. And we have to find a way to educate our children about grief, yeah. about both the dark and the light of both of it and um, because then the children become adults and they've got some tools to be able to deal with grief i feel that when my son grows up he's going to be able to deal with with grief and death and yes and talk about it openly um and so i feel that it's important for us to share with children that 
you know. Of, I agree the, of totally. The death happens because yeah. I think that's why I I had such a fear for you know thirty five years of death like this fear within me of like you know like almost like can't breathe like this anxiety that like but what happens when that person gets taken away and especially when you then get married and you start to have children then you've then you've got something that's potentially you know you could lose right whereas when you're a single person you You just have to worry about yourself don't you yeah and then you get married and you have children then it's like oh gosh now i've got something worth losing and and so we we've got a long way to go to learn learn about death Um, I think you're handling it beautifully, though, in your family. And I think it's all about being as as truthful as you can be Mm. as well and and, and explaining it at their level. So, yes, I think you're doing a fantastic job. But, Rachel, what do you feel are the right words to express your condolences to someone? What words helped you? I try to use words like, I focus on sending that person love. Yeah. I'll often, rather than having like set words that I'll say to somebody, I try to take a moment just to breathe, just to feel what might be needed to be said. And I feel that that if we do that, rather than jumping in straight away with, sorry for your loss, whatever it may be, but if we just breathe for a moment, take a step back, feel in our hearts what we need to share, then maybe something else will come. Yeah. It's different to that. And that's that's the space. So rather than kind of like a set words, if I had to come up with, a, you know, a, a set of words, then it would be something more like, I'm sending you lots of love. I'm here for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's one of those things people do tend to overthink when they spend a lot of time in their heads. Mm. They're not tuning in to their gut feeling, that intuition. Mm. And if people, like you say, take a breath and just allow to come up whatever comes up, Mm. then it would feel more appropriate in that space. But I I feel that, you know, sometimes people say things because they don't know what to say and it might be clumsy and it might land and you think, oh, I didn't like that. But what I really don't like is when people don't acknowledge it at all. Mm. So I think as long as we read the intention behind what they say, they want to pass on their condolences. It's interesting though, isn't it? That when, and I often think of it on Facebook when someone says, you know, my grandma's passed away or something. And you look underneath in the comments and it says, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss. Is is that the truth, or have they just written something that they think people want to hear? Yeah, it's yeah. a really hard one. We need to we need to find the right. Um, what's that word when you're doing like a scientific equation? <laughs> formula. <laughs> For, that's it. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. We need a formula for this yeah. to help us on our way. Well, just if I think the word, I'm, the reason we use "I'm sorry for your loss" is I feel that we're we're programmed that it's something's lost. Yeah, that it's and it, that it's gone forever, and the physical body, yes, is, but what we don't, you know, in today's society in this world, predominantly, we don't feel, you know, on a soul level, on a deeper level, what that's like, and, and I think when we start to realize, I mean, I remember growing up that my mum would always say, oh, if a robin comes and sits by you, that that meant that. A loved one that had passed over now is yeah. near you. And there's all these different things like that. Yeah. So even on a really simple level, lots of people believe that. 
Yeah. And so I'm just, I guess I'm just inviting everyone to play with the idea that that little robin isn't just going to pop on the, pop on the, um, you know, bench next to you. So this is, uh, so let me just share some of these. So this is something that happened. So about um, three weeks after our daughter was born, we went to the Lake District and in my head, I thought to myself, we're going to go to the Lake District. We're going to have a week, week or so away. And the Lake District for me is like a little healing place anyway. I feel it very nurturing. And we went there for a week. And after about a week, I felt more confused and more numb and more lost, and which was then causing more rage and more anger. And, yeah. and so on the last night of being in the Lake District, <laughs> I went to the freezer, grabbed a pot of Ben and Jerry's, and I went and sat, sat on the edge where Lake Conniston is. And it was a blue sky. And I looked out of the lake eating my Ben and Jerry's. And I was so just rah, anger, rage. And this little bird came and sat on the bench next to me. And I screamed at this little bird. And I went, so where is she? Like, I don't feel connected to her. Where is she? And within moments, it went from a blue sky and it opened and it poured with rain. And I just sat there in the rain yeah. with my Ben and Jerry's. And I said to myself, I'm not going to question ever again after that yeah. where she is. She's everywhere. Okay, I get it. And I think when you've got that connection still, then then you start to realise there's another side to death. Yeah. Um, and that then helps you not to have that, I'm sorry for your loss, because you realise that there's still something else here. Yes. And that helps me then to live my life, right? Because I feel connected and, and yeah. much deeper. Oh, I love a sign, Rachel. Mm. Uh, you know, butterflies, rainbows, heart-shaped clouds, robins. Mm -hmm. You know, they seem to come at appropriate times when you need yeah. to feel that. Yeah. Because, as you know, as much as you know, I'm, I find I'm quite a spiritual person and I know that Matthew's in a good place and he's all around us. But sometimes you just need that little sign. You mm. just need that little bit extra. Mm. So I do, do like mm. a sign. Absolutely. So can you recommend any books, films, podcasts or groups or, or you know, to support people? Yeah. For me, I read a lot of um, Kubler-Ross's books around death and dying, grief and grieving. Yeah. I think anything by her there there's there's lots of things there one of the things from a spiritual point of view that really helped me was there's a yoga book called the yoga of death loss and transformation and that took me a lot lot deeper and there's a lot of meditations that i did in that book so that really helped okay and yeah there's a particular meditation that i did which is called the akal meditation so A-K-A-L, Akal, and the word means undying. And I did this meditation for 11 minutes every day for about 31 days. And, and, and the idea is with this meditation is that you're sending the soul back to the light. Yeah. So it's like the soul's returning home. Yeah. And, and even though that, that meditation is focusing on that soul returning home, what it did for me was I processed a lot during yeah. that time it's like saying goodbye i like um, that mm. i really like that i'll certainly put these in the show notes as well for people to check out yeah. so for people who have just lost a loved one mm -hmm. or perhaps for others who have been stuck in grief for years 
Do you have any words of wisdom you could share to maybe help them loosen their grief in some way? Mm. I think connect, realising the different phases of grief is the most important bit for me. Knowing that we start in that numb place, we're lost. Then when we start to question, we get angry, we we rage and every other type of emotion that's in there. And there's depression. And knowing that we're going to cycle through and around and around that. For me, I found that really freeing, knowing that, oh, okay, so I'm in this depression phase not not because it's bad, but actually the depression phase comes so that we have enough space around us so that we can learn to plant some new seeds and rebuild our lives. And that's for me what that's what depression is. Depression is something where it's a time in your life where it's time to plant some new seeds in your garden. Yes. And to give yourself not to rush out of depression, but to spend a slow amount of time watering those seeds yeah you know picking the flowers whatever that might be you know going for walks reading books and and a lot of the time we're trying to rush out of those phases so quickly and it's because we're rushing out of those phases that springboards us back into that phase so honoring each of the phases of grief for me is what then helps you and most people you know the final phase of grief is actually, they call it the transformation. And it, the emotion that comes with that phase of grief is gratitude. Yeah. And a lot of the time when we, we talk about gratitude and grief in the same sentence, people are like, what? Yeah. How can you use that word? Um, but most people will never get to that phase because of not honoring the other phases. Like today, we can be grateful for each other that we're Absolutely. here, that we're doing that, that we're doing this and we're making a difference in the world. Yeah. So the people listening to that, you know, we can invite them to take a moment to be grateful that you are doing what you're doing and you wouldn't be doing this without your son. Yeah. So it's like, ah, for a moment now we're in grat- gratitude yeah. for your son and for your grief journey. Um, and that comes from really honouring each of the phases of grief. Absolutely. And I love an attitude of gratitude. Mm. So, yeah, it's about honouring each space and understanding that it's normal. Mm. Whatever you're feeling is perfectly normal. Yeah. So where are you and your family in your grief journey now? Um, I think we cycle around lots of different places. I'd say we spend quite a lot of time in, in that gratitude place because of things that I look like with our son and I see his relationship with grief. I see the yoga the, the and, and how much of a deeper person I am through that. The workshops, the grief workshops that I lead. I see the impact that that's making. So we do spend quite a lot of time there. And I'm human as well. And so, of course, there's times where I still go back to feeling lost and numb. And, I, and I've got the tools to yeah. to journal. And I have a whole load of tools for each section. Something that I've written is different meditations for each section of the grief journey as well. So where we need some more courage in our lives. Um, yeah. So I've kind of mapped different meditations to different phases of grief. And once you've got those tools, 
Yes. You, you know, you've just got them and you know then. So I'm not afraid of falling back into anger and rage. If anyone's in anger, go find a tree and scream yeah. everything you need to scream at that tree. I remember, so after our daughter was stillborn, I've had two more miscarriages since then. And I remember after the first miscarriage, that was it. I was like, I, I it was like spirituality was my best friend and I broke broke friends with my best friend I was like I'm done with you because if God existed if spirituality if anything existed then why would you let this happen yeah and I was so angry and I literally sat with I don't you know (laughs) seeing like God or spirituality or what you know whatever in front of me and I just screamed at that person why would you do this to me so allow yourself find a tree in the forest trees don't mind being screamed at but if we don't scream at the trees what happens is you try to suppress it and hold it down and hold it down, hold it down. And then one day your husband comes back from work and you go, rah, yeah. and you let it all out at him. And that's, that's not good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, find a tree and scream yeah. at a tree. Because <laughs> anger is an emotion mm-hmm. that we feel. Yes. But it's what we do with it that's yeah. important, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. And anger propels us. It, it moves us through that phase yeah. of the grief. We have to release it and not suppress it. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you like people to learn from your experience? That there's two there's, there's two paths to take. Yeah. I think for many people, they see this fear of death and this fear of grief, that it's going to be this bag, that this dark, heavy bag that they're going to carry around for the rest of their lives. And when they can connect to the love, the light, the magic moments, the special moments that 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 are there in the journey of yeah. grief. We just have to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears and be really open to those moments. Just be open to them. Yeah. It's like innocence. You know, when a child is just lost in their imagination, it's like just being really open to them. Yeah. And keep being open to them because for some people it's like, well, I've been open for two weeks and I've not seen anything. Okay, well, what about just being open for a lifetime and see what happens and not having any expectations, um, but just being open to to that. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel that grief has given you any gifts? Obviously, your daughter was a magical gift. Yeah. For me, it's the person that I am now in terms of how confident I feel as a person. That came during that time. I definitely, as a person, doubted myself a lot more before then. I wouldn't have the conviction to do something like this, that, you know, I'm a different person. Yeah. And so, and that's a gift, right? Absolutely. And as I say, like, the fact that my son is now eight and a half and can, can talk about death and how many children... Uh, are able to talk about death and so there's a richness with death and with grief and we've got uh, you know this is great that with the podcasts and 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 doing more things like this so that we can just hope that a few more people can 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 start to understand much more about death and grief and look for the gifts because they're there aren't Mm. they absolutely So how are you doing as a family now? And do you have any special ways or rituals to remember Narayan? So every year for her birthday, the 16th of June, we always go somewhere where we're surrounded by water. 
Yeah. So it was the Lake District for a few years. And then we felt, OK, this is becoming a little bit of a, we're coming to the same place. So this summer we went to Loch Morlick in Scotland and it was amazing. So we always make sure we're somewhere next to a lake yeah. or the sea or where there's lots of water. Yeah. Um, and every year we just go for that week and switch our phones off and are just together as a family and allow ourselves to just talk over it all again. You know, yeah. I love talking through because at the time my husband was really into eating lots of fruit and at the hospital there was a fruit market and we always talk about that he didn't want to read to our daughter so I went and read to our daughter and he went and bought all these fresh mangoes and my son at the time was obsessed with like uh, Bob the Builder and opposite this little fruit store was a building site at the hospital <laughs> so you had me reading to my reading a story to my daughter my husband buying all these exotic fruits and my son at this building just wanting to watch all the buildings like yeah. and, the th and the three of us in those moments were doing completely different things and I love just sitting and talking over and uh, each year about yeah. those things Sometimes, you know, we just remember tiny little different things, but just sitting and for that week and just remembering and thinking of, thinking about things and chatting over them and allowing the tears to flow, allowing yes. ourselves to write the journal because we all live quite busy lives at times and it's really easy to just keep going. So at least that week, every single year, phones are it's off. A special and week. It's just time together to to continue yes. that journey because she deserves that as well right she absolutely deserves that time and um yeah good so. good i think that's going to be like an annual event forever now isn't it i know well now we're like finding more and more places with lots of water <laughs> and waterfalls and yes yeah oh well, good yeah. well i find it really helps me listening to the diverse perspectives through which other people experience their grief and it's essential to recognize that everybody copes with it in their own unique way and there is no definitive right or wrong approach and the way that you navigate your grief is perfectly suited to you you have your unique mindset and belief that helps you deal with your loss but what would you say to someone who doesn't have this because there will be people listening who may be struggling and feeling lost, or others that do maybe have a belief system, but they're mm. angry with their faith. What would you mm. say to these people? Let themselves feel exactly whatever they're feeling. Um, if you feel angry, I'm not going to swear, <laughs> now, <laughs> but I would usually swear. Yeah. Um, just allow yourself to be angry. Feel how angry you feel you know it's quite hard to be angry without swearing actually I'm like, <laughs> careful <laughs> yeah, um, so allow yourself yeah. to be angry you know allow yourself if you feel numb and you feel lost and you feel hurt and sad like let yourself feel those things yeah and I really believe that for many people they're like they're stopping themselves feeling those things which actually keeps them in that place even longer. Yeah. So feel the things that you're feeling. I find writing things down. I love to journal. Yeah. And, and when I first started journaling, a lot of the time I'd be writing, I don't even know what to write. This is stupid. This doesn't work. Why am I even bothering with this? You know, and, and I could write, I don't know what to write over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and just doing something like that until... 
even if you're just one page a day, at some point something else is going to come. Yeah. So yeah. when you don't know what to write, you don't know what to say, just start. Um, I think one of the things we're often looking for is is we want perfection or we want it instantly. Yeah. Life, we can't put ourselves in a microwave cake. It's not going to happen. No. We've got to let, we're, a, we're much more of a slow burn. That's as people, as humans, yeah. we need to allow the emotions and the thoughts to percolate a little bit. And um, Absolutely. You yeah you can't put grief you know in a microwave ding okay now we're done yeah it doesn't work like that unfortunately um, it doesn't no. work like that and so, I'm a big journaler as well yeah. I love to journal yeah. and I'd say to people that just get yourself a notebook mm. sit down light a candle yeah grab a cuppa and just sit and be mindful and mm. think about all the good memories and then something will just pop up and just start writing doesn't matter what comes onto the page just allow whatever comes out so yeah the other thing as well particularly for someone who um is 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 creating like a a memory book or create something get crafty and and make something so for each of my um miscarriages and stillbirths and things i make like a tapestry and and i make something so that it's like okay, that's that one of, for one of the little us little girls. Um, when I had a miscarriage, I was convinced she was a little girl, and I was going to call her Blossom Rose. So I bought a tapestry that was a rose, and I did that, and I framed that, and I've put that on my wall. Yes. and to me, it's like that's her. That acknowledging yeah. that she was part of your yeah. life, and 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 I mean, miscarriage is a whole other subject because. With a stillbirth, you get a you know birth and a death certificate. Whereas with a miscarriage, no, nothing like it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. And so then, how do you grieve? Whereas if you don't have a funeral and 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 so for anyone who's who's listening, you know, especially around things like miscarriage, it's the same process. I always say, um, never compare yourself when it comes to grief because. When I talk about stillbirth and somebody else has had a miscarriage, they'll always say to me, oh, but, but I didn't carry as long as you did. So it's like mine's not as bad as yours. No, 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 no. No, we it's don't like, get into grief wars here. No, 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 we never compare anything. So you might be listening and it's and, and you've someone's experienced a miscarriage. It's exactly the same process. Just because, you know, the government didn't give you a certificate, yeah. that doesn't mean anything. So, um, so yeah, it's the same process. So We all share the same emotions, don't we? Yeah. Those same intensities that come and go. And that's what we can connect through, our shared mm. grief experience. Mm. Yeah. So loss is loss. Mm. Absolutely. So, Rachel, I'm really intrigued to know what your thoughts about the afterlife are. Oh, <laughs> yeah, afterlife. I, I, for me, um, I just believe that souls are infinite. Yeah. Souls. So it's like we're born, we have this journey, and if we don't complete everything we need to complete in this journey, then we're just we're born again and we come back. Okay. So for me, souls are infinite. This physical body is going to come and it's going to go. But a soul is infinite. So, and that, and it's for me, it's that belief that I can, that's what is that, that's, it's that belief that enables me to connect to Narayan anytime, anywhere. Yeah. And so that serves me. So for others, just have the idea of play with it. I always think about life being a bit of a playground 
we get somewhere, I don't know, maybe around like 13, 14, we get, start to get serious about life, right? And we, we lose that imagination and play. Yeah. It's like, so for anyone who's not sure about afterlife, I just invite you for the next day, week, month, year, however long, to play with the idea that there could be something after, yeah. that there's, there's maybe souls are still here. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm with you with that. I feel yeah. that life is like a school for our soul. Mm. And yeah. um, we come here to experience all of these different emotions. Um, so, yeah, so do you, well, you, you talk about Narayan coming to you in the form of rain. Mm-hmm. So do you believe our loved ones can give us signs? Yeah, so when you talk about signs, I think the signs can come in little things. Um, but I think the signs can all, can also come in much bigger things as well. There was a time, um, a difficult time, when a friend of mine, her husband had passed away and she called me very upset and she hadn't shared with anybody at the time and I just knew I needed to go to her house. She just called me and said, I need you to come to my house. And she lived about an hour away from me, so I just got in my car and I drove there and it was as, as as I was driving there, the rain got heavier and heavier and heavier. And I remember literally talking to the rain going, OK, Narianne, I know you're trying to give me a sign now, but I don't know what it is. So and I just it was like I was talking to the rain. And by the time I got to my friend's house, when I knocked on the door, I'm not going to say I knew exactly what had happened, but it was like I knew. Right. Um, so I, I do believe that our loved ones are going to give us small signs every day yeah. in the in the rainbow, in the butterflies, in the, you know, anywhere and everywhere. But I do think as well, it's like seeing those loved ones around still and they're going to guide us and support us in our, in our dark moments as well. Yeah. Uh, in the way that, you know, my husband, if I get home from, when I get home from here, he'll say, oh, how did it go? You know, it's the same things, you know, yeah. on the way home from here, I've already talked to Narian. It'll probably rain again. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it can come in as a thought, can't it? Sometimes yeah. it can come in as a feeling, mm. messages. So my next question is, have you had any signs? I think the answer is yes to that. Yes, lots of signs. Yes. Absolutely. And um, and it's those signs that I think that have given me my faith in that souls yes. exist after yeah. after death that's it's not it's not like i'm sitting here thinking well maybe it's like no i know and there's no no, no one can take that yeah. away like i absolutely know that souls exist when the physical body's gone yeah. forever yeah for sure so if you could give narayan a message what would you like to say i'd say thank you i would i'd say and i do i say thank you to her because I wouldn't be this person that's sitting here doing this. Yeah. Um, and actually recently I spent, I spend, I do spend quite a lot of time in gratitude when it comes to Narianne because that, that, that's what's served me and helped me as I've worked through all the different emotions. But I did a meditation recently and it was a long meditation for a couple of hours. And in that meditation, I saw myself holding her hands and I just looked at her and I said, I miss you. And I was like, whoa, and I didn't realise, and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. Yeah. And so 
we're going to come in and out of all these different emotions. And I think it's just really allowing ourselves to not to deny ourselves any of these things. I didn't realize that I was feeling so much like I missed you. And then I went into this meditation and said to her, I miss you. And it was like, where did all of that come from? And that is the thing with grief. So find for everyone that's listening, you know, find find your place, your tribe that are going to support you and help you to keep remembering your loved one in the way that you would love to connect to them and remember them because you've got this whole journey of your life ahead of you. And what do you want this journey to look like? A journey where you're carrying this heavy, dark sack or this journey where you're connected to the rain, connect, whatever it may be, connected to the sun. Yeah. And on that, I think that is a perfect message to end this podcast. So let's honour our loved ones by living our best lives and looking for those glimmer moments. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Gift for Grief. Please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate. If you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links and I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.